Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether or not you decide you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy (laughs) if i'm hanging out with you Uh, maybe (laughs) okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant walls automotive group walls.com and doug sprinthal Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, And it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. We're rocking out, man. That's all I have to say to you. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, You know how all these people now, like the politicians, are so filthy. All they care about is money, and they don't care how many people kill one another as long as they're making money. You know, causing strife and hatred in America by their lame-ass comments. Well, let me tell you what money will do for you. Steve Bing is a billionaire. Film bankroller, writer, philanthropist Steve Bing... Jumped out a 27-story window uh, yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, jumped out a 27-story window, fell to his death. Uh, and they report in the uh, news that it is not a definitive link to suicide. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be? Well, Nobody was there to throw him out the window. Oh, who knows? Who knows? It, 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 the whole thing is kind of nutty. That's uh, Dave Chappelle's most recent uh, special. He started out by talking about a buddy of his who became a lawyer, you know, from the ghetto, or, mm-hmm. you know, from the means, uh, small means. Yeah, became a lawyer, uh, didn't work out, he ended up managing a Denny's. He says, that guy should be depressed. That guy <laughs> should be depressed because he did, did all this. It didn't work out. And then there's Anthony Bourdain. Worldwide right. celebrity killed with all the money. Too, yeah. says, this, what, what, what do you need? What do you really need? I mean, poor guy. He's a billionaire. Don't you think he could have afforded a round-the-clock therapist? 
Oh, my God. He had a real estate developer grandfather. When Bing was 16, he had, when his grandfather died, he inherited money. 16 years old, he was worth $600 million. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. That's pretty nice. So apparently money's not the answer, I guess, is what I'm saying to you, that you want to talk about how much money you got and money, 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 and all you care about is money. Ralph just named a couple guys. We named Steve Bing. Three people. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and they all killed themselves. Yeah. Well, you, you, it make it just simply doesn't seem to make any sense. No. I think that it's it's hard it's hard to comprehend. You know, your comprehension if you you're born with money or born into money, and you realize at age four you never have to work a day in your life, you lose that idea of the compensation of productivity and being productive. My cousin Billy, Down syndrome, his whole life's about being productive has three jobs. So it, it just makes no sense. You have to accept the fact that being productive and making things or doing something is really is a, a real joy, gives yes. you joy in your life. Well, here you go. Um, Terry McAuliffe has related a story showing up in 2000 to billionaire Ronald Burkle's house to seek donors for the party's summer convention, and Bing was there. He was wearing ripped-up old jeans and a T-shirt with holes in it and wrote him a check for $10 million. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. Just there you go. Ten million bucks. It's just a whole thing. I mean, obviously, we're saddened by the fact that someone it's terrible is so depressed and sad that he jumps out of twenty. Now that's self punishment too. What is he punishing? So you don't jump out a twenty-seven story window unless you want to punish yourself, don't you think? That's right. Oh, so what? Did, what about himself did he hate so much? You know, and and why don't it just. It's so interesting is that when you when you have that problem, you have that severe depression problem that you can't be self-aware enough to realize, hey, i got to get some help here. This isn't right. Yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. messed up. Now, listen, I'll be like a normal human being and just tell you, if I find out he left me $100 million, I'll go, gee, I understand why he killed himself. <laughs> That's right. oh, no problem. Yeah, it couldn't have been suicide. No, it's not suicide. I'm sure he just... Uh... Um, something. Well, he had yeah. at least two illegitimate, Ill, illegitimate children. So is that so, even a thing anymore? Illegitimate yeah, children? For real? Well, who cares? I know. I mean, well, that's, uh, you know, a uh, hundred, two, three hundred years ago, that was a that was a stress. That was that might have been an embarrassment. Well, even if you, if you had money, or you were in royalty. It, it wasn't an embarrassment. You have have illegitimate children all the time. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How'd you like to grow up being called illegitimate, however? <laughs> That'd be a little hard to swallow. Yeah. Well, you're illegitimate. Who cares what you think? You'd get, well, you'd... when you're Mr. You know, Mr. Progressive, everyone matters, you know. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm the most empathetic person in the world, and then you father two children and run away. You yep. Well, it says something about you. But maybe that's the way it is. That's the way. That's a part of being, being that thought process that you can just you don't have to have those social commitments it takes a village to raise a child because there's no family Mm. yep damien hurley uh he had uh, a son with uh, elizabeth hurley who's who's not unattractive no easy on the eyes easy on the eyes he had 21 year old kira bonder with ex-tennis pro lisa bonder i don't know who that is but uh the reason obviously you you read this because he's only 55 years old he's dead I had everything going in the world. Everybody, you know, he hung out with all the big shots and had all kinds of money. Handsome guy, married to a beautiful woman, or really, I don't think he's ever married. But he and Elizabeth Hurley were nope. together. I don't know Lisa Bonder, but uh, this is a guy who had everything. Lived the Hollywood lifestyle, all his buddies, and still 
he didn't didn't want to live anymore. So be careful how much money you're you're going after. And this guy didn't uh, you know work hard to get there. He got the six hundred million from his grandfather. Do you think that affects you psychologically as well? Absolutely. I'm sure. Absolutely. The idea of, of realizing you never have to work that, that that's the thing is that you you're not productive, and that's if you don't have that joy in your life, and it's a real joy. It's a hollow life. You're searching all, you know, raison d'etre. There's no reason for being. Right. Is that you're out there, you have a bunch of kids, you know, you do drugs, you travel, you marry a bunch of times, you buy a bunch of stuff, but it's still a hollowness. There's nothing in your life that's real. And that, you know, it's yep. just horrible. And that's what happens. I mean, he instead of giving, wasting his money by giving it to politicians who are just filthy pigs and greedy as hell, and then say things that cause people to shoot one another. Things like, oh, they hate you because of your skin color. Whether it's black, white, whatever, they hate you because of your skin color. You know, it gets a little... You should have used that money, uh, Mr. Bing, to help people who really needed help, and you would have felt a lot better about yourself. There you go. That's you true. Know? That's and maybe true. he did. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. And maybe he did. Maybe he gave directly to a bunch of charities. I hope You would hope so. Uh, Poor guy. That's it's just so sad they don't get help. That's a thing that really floors me. They just don't get the help that they can use. No, they don't. It's it's a very very sad story. To brighten the moment a little bit, you know what the number one? You know, there are two hundred and thirty theaters open in America. Two hundred thirty of them, right? What's the number one movie at the box office right now? I can give you a clue. Wouldn't even be able to guess. Uh, it first came out in 1993, and it's number one at the box office again this week. Hmm. What would it be? What kind of movie would it be? Pandemic? One of those no, things? No, 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 nothing like that. It is a, um, it's not really, it's not a superhero movie, but it's one of those kind of deals. Number one movie, ladies and gentlemen, uh, last week in America was Jurassic Park. Oh. That's weird. So people just want some fantasy to watch because mm. they don't want to deal with real life. They roll, man. Why, what made them pick that to roll? I mean, of all of the things they could roll out, why Jurassic Park? I think it's just because once again, it's not a superhero movie because it's all that comes out now are superhero yeah. movies. But it is about fantasy. Yeah. You know, about living in a, uh, on a planet in a life that they'd rather live than the one we got going on currently. I guess. Yeah, but it didn't turn out so well in that Jurassic Park. No, you know? no. It didn't turn out good no, for the lawyer in the no. in the outhouse. <laughs> Exactly. Or maybe they're just replaying like some of the top grossing films. They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's probably what it but is. Jurassic Park is one of the wor- the best grossing films of, of all time. time. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Indeed it is, and Spielberg's not the worst guy in the world. No. So that's, that's he nice always puts out good stuff. Seems to. He seems to. It's absolutely true. So now, you know what's so funny about this job, and of course my morning show job as well, you do a lot of research. I don't ever look at uh, look at stories ahead of time. I look at them when they're on the air. And trying to find a positive story is really hard to do. Except for I got I I had to I had to congratulate and pat on the back the Star Tribune this morning because they wrote an article that actually showed Minnesotans have uh, have have a long history of being much better to black people than anywhere else in America. Did you see that story? No. I didn't. It's a great story, as a matter of fact. Uh, the story is initially about um, the Cedar Lake uh, oh, sure. Cemetery. Okay. You know, the cemetery there at Cedar and, and Lake. That's what the story was written about. But when you go down the list and you, you, you look at uh, all these different, I'm going to say, well, where did it go? 
Oh, here you go. Old Cemetery on Busy Lake Street. Host famous Minnesotans. Okay? So that's what drew me to it. I was like, I wonder who, who's buried there. And it finds out, that you find out if you read the story once they, and it, by the way, it takes them a while to get to who actually is buried there. Let's meet some of those who call this place home. William Goodridge was a former slave who became a prominent businessman and abolitionist in Pennsylvania. Goodridge is home in York, Pennsylvania, now a historic site. Starting with a barbershop in the 1820s, Goodridge built up a business empire that included retailing, freight delivery, real estate, and even a hair growth tonic. He was later a conductor on the Underground Railroad as he helped hide and transport fugitive slaves to freedom. Goodridge moved to Minneapolis in 1865, the year that slavery ended, to join his daughter and her family. Wow. So he's there. Philander... Prescott arrived at Fort Snelling in 1819, long before Minnesota was a territory. His many jobs included operating a store at Fort Snelling and trading post in Wisconsin that now bears his name. Uh, Charles Christmas was Hennepin County's first surveyor, elected in 1852, and Minneapolis wouldn't look like it does today were it not for him. Christmas is responsible for platting the area that became downtown Minneapolis at the behest of the land's owner at the time. Uh, one guy owned all of the land where downtown Minneapolis is now, a guy named John Stevens. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's it, it's unbelievable. I mean, how many how many uh, black people understand that a black man laid out Minneapolis? I know, isn't it wonderful? John Cheatham, born into slavery in Missouri, became Minneapolis' first black firefighter. Now, this is in the eighteen hundreds, eighteen eighty eight. He joined the fire department. That I believe was the year that that any member of my family first came to America. It was in eighteen eighty eight from Germany. So. Minneapolis, with other black fighters, uh, black firefighters, uh, was met with racist objections, though others in the public have supported him. He continued working there until he retired. So it's person after person after person buried, Cedar Lake Cemetery, black people, uh, white people, obviously. But wow. why don't we ever talk, and we've been talking, uh, at least I guess I've been mentioning it a little bit, why don't we ever talk about the success of blacks in America? I know. You, 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 you said it last week we mentioned that. If you take the... Uh, wealth of the uh, black population in America. It represents uh, like number 17 of the GNP in the world. They do. Yep. Higher, higher than any of the African nations. Oh, by far. It's not even close. Any of the African nations. And it make, it's, I don't know, it, it just, you know, they, so they've been sad. able to do so well here. And there's so many opportunities. And you know, and if you were go to go to a black employer and you're a black person that needs needs work, I have a tendency you'd get preferential treatment. I would hope you would. I would hope, yeah. yeah. But I've never heard of any of these people. No. Why have I never heard of any of these people? Because they don't don't haven't mentioned them in history, or they're you know, and that may be a flaw of the history. Uh, you hear, you do hear of some like George Washington Carver, yeah, peanut guy. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of people in black uh, black people in history that you have heard of, but yep. then. I mean, but how many white guys that, uh, you know, were firefighters do you hear about? How many, uh, exactly. you know, how many people who ran two stores do you hear? I mean, you just don't hear about that. So Huge. We'll take a break. Got a special guest, matter of fact. We're going to hunt Whitey. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Hunting Whitey. We're talking about Whitey Bulger. Though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whitey. We'll be right back with the family. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always great to be with you, Tommy. Michael, we've talked before about the XCheck app at North American Banking Company, where you can send money to your friends and family directly from your account to theirs for free. I imagine people are using that a lot these days, huh? 
Beyond paying a friend back for the dinner you split or paying fantasy football or golf side action, we've heard from our customers that they're using XCheck to send money to their grown-up kids for a family takeout meal or using it to pay the person that plows their driveway in the winter. Our customers love the flexibility of paying right from their account in just a couple of taps on their phone wherever they are located. I use XCheck, and it's just as easy as Michael says. Send money in one business day or less, and it's completely free. Get XCheck by contacting any of North American Banking Company's five Twin Cities locations. So why not bank with my banker? That's you, Mike. Tommy, thanks for the privilege. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Square, and use promo code TOM, T-O-M. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Casey Sherman, Dave Wedge, how are you doing today, gentlemen? Good, thanks for having us. It's a, it's a, you know, it's really, it, the, the timing of it is fantastic because it's, uh, uh, by the way, the book, Hunting Whitey, the inside story of capturing and killing America's most wanted crime boss, a hell of a story starting off in, uh, in uh, South Boston and uh, North Boston. He actually worked up there. A lot of people never... Well, work. I don't. Can you call it work, Casey and Dave? I, I suppose I don't suppose you can call what Whitey did work. Can you? It was it was night work, is what it was. Yeah, now. it was night work. That's exactly right. But uh, it was so it was so funny about it is when I got the book, I opened the package a couple of days ago, and I pulled it out, you know, by the top. So by the time I got the name of the the book out, I'm like hunting Whitey. Is this a good topic for right now? <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> But I, uh, very quick story, and then I'll shut up because I want to hear your take on this entire thing. But uh, Kevin Weeks just got out of prison, what, about two years ago, something like that? Uh, he's been out for some time. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we know Kevin. We've interviewed him in the past. Okay, so the reason I even bring him up is he put out a book, and we had him on this show when the book came out. So, God, it was longer than a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. But... Um, so Kevin came on the show, and I said, Kevin, to start the interview, I should tell you that I met you at a party in 1982, and there was this long pause, and then he said, and I don't think he was kidding, he said, do you owe me money? Mm. <laughs> no, I Sounds do not. Sounds right. <laughs> it does sound right, doesn't it? I now want to be quiet and hear your take. Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. The book is called Hunting Whitey. How'd you guys get involved? Well, you know, we've covered the Whitey Bulger story for decades as journalists here in Boston, and Dave and I were never going to 
write a book about Whitey Bulger because we thought, you know, that's already been done. There have been several books. There have been at least two movies and a few other TV shows. And unless we could bring something completely new to the narrative, we were going to stay away. But then Whitey Bulger gets uh, mysteriously murdered in prison in 2018. And that's when we decided to say, okay, what are the missing gaps here? And we found that, you know, nobody had really understood what happened while Bulger was on the run for 16 years, what his life was like in prison, and what ultimately led to his murder. And, you know, we answer those those questions in Hunting Whitey. You do answer all. See, that's what fascinates me so much. As I said, I just got the book a couple of days ago, and I was uh, paging through it. And I, I want to get deep into it because I'm, you know, 4th of July coming up, I'm going to take the week off, and I'm going to carry Hunting Whitey with me and, and read the book because, you know, having studied this for so long do you casey and dave let me ask you a question i i make the comments because i also do a morning show we should have you on the morning show as well too because as a big audience as well but um you know you kind of look at all this stuff and and these great books that come out and then people kind of move stuff around but as you as you pointed out you both boston reporters you were there and by the way you guys going to get the red Sox this year or do you think that'll happen <laughs> who knows yeah who right? knows at this point but in any case following the whitey bulger situation i mean he did things that nobody had ever done before his brother record what was his brother's position again in the government so his, his brother was the uh, president president of the massachusetts senate which um, at the time, and, and still today, is, is you know one of the most powerful positions in Massachusetts politics. Isn't that amazing? That that happens. I mean, we have had police chiefs in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, whose brothers ended up in prison for life. It's, it's so fascinating to me. You know, the 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 good guy bad guy thing is very very well defined in some families. I guess just the way it is. How right. does how does a guy like Whitey Bulger get? to where he got. How did he get involved in the first place? Well, you know, Bulger uh, grew up in South Boston with his brother, Billy, and, you know, to say one uh, brother was bad and the other one was good, what we find out in uh, Hunting with Whitey is that, you know, there are shades of gray in in both lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, without a Whitey Bulger, there wouldn't have been the uh, um, legendary politician of Billy Bulger and vice versa. Whitey Bulger was, uh, he grew up in in South Boston, which obviously is a very tough section of the city. And he was kind of a two-bit gangster and uh, bank robber in the late 50s and, and early 60s. And now, living in Boston, you know, back then your childhood hero was probably Ted Williams or Eddie Shore for the villains. Sure. But Woody Bulger was fascinated by Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger. He loved that part of the American ethos. And that's really what, uh, you know, those were, those were his cult heroes, and he wanted to be just like them, and he started knocking over banks while he was a, a teenager in, in his early 20s, ended up in federal prison, in, including Alcatraz, and then was released, and uh, at the time he was released, um, there had already been a, a bloody mob war in, on the streets of Boston, where 57 men were killed in a two-and-a-half-year period. Now, that's never happened in any gang war in American history, but by the time Bloody Bulger's on the streets, he really filled that power void in the city of Boston, and then he, you know, cuddles up with the FBI, and the rest is history. Right. Yeah, that 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 was fascinating. That it, you talk about a guy that was playing all sides of uh, 
of any argument. Man, he he definitely did that. There's no question about that. Do you think? Because I speculated this morning. We were talking about, you know, gangbangers in America and all the rest of it and why this big surge came and blah, blah, blah. I do believe, although it's my favorite movie of all time, that so many people, and maybe Whitey Bulger was another one of them, but in 1971, 72, whatever year it was, saw this movie and... And gangsters looked so wonderful, although they were murderers in the movie, people didn't take that away from the movie. They thought, man, these guys are rich, and they are got beautiful women, and they got, they got everything. Do you think that movie kind of triggered something in American brains that kind of went, well, well, that's what I want to do? Now, Whitey was around before that, but, uh, you know, to, to glorify... And I don't know that, you know, Mario Puzo wanted to glorify gangsterism, but it did, whether he wanted to or not. Well, I think that's always been a, a narrative in American culture is the fascination with the gangster. You know, my, yeah. my favorite scene in Scarface is, you know, when he's drunk in the restaurant, he's leaving, and he says, everybody say hi to the bad guy, you know? And, and I think <laughs> right. in American, you know, everyone say, say goodnight to the bad guy. You know, every, everyone really, you know, we love to explore that culture, you know, Sopranos. You know, we we, we yeah. love to get in, you know, Sopranos is great because, you know, they're kind of a regular family, except that the guy's a serial-killing mobster, you know, so... Um, and, but, I, you know, in relation to Whitey Bulger, I mean, you know, Bulger uh, formed his career, as Casey said, you know, th- his heroes were those Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, right. the early gangsters, and he went to Alcatraz, and that's kind of his Harvard, where he really learned how to be an arch-criminal. Um, and, you know, Bulger always talked about that. We have access to over 70 letters that Bulger himself wrote in this book, and he talks extensively about his time at Alcatraz and how much he revered that time and how pr- he was proud of his time at Alcatraz. So um, he, he, you know, whether he, he personally watched those movies and took pointers from it, I can only assume he did because what we do know and we learned from writing this book is that he was a student of crime and mm-hmm. he's also a student of how to be a fugitive. So he did his homework, Buddy Bulger. Is he a really, was he a really bright man, really smart guy? Yeah, he was, and I think that's what probably elevates him even higher than mm-hmm. the Al Capones of the world is, you know, Whitey Bulger had been planning for his own escape, you know, for years before he did it in 1994, and he remained on the run from the FBI for 16 years, ultimately becoming elevated to America's most wanted fugitive. And kind of going back to the lore and mythology of gangsterism, you know, Bulger at one point, while he was a fugitive, was even willing to jeopardize his own freedom by sneaking into a movie theater and watching The Departed, which was a fictionalized oh, version of his own life of crime. Right. And he almost got caught. Oh, he did? How did, how did it, so he didn't, not a great disguise, huh? No, no, not, not a great disguise. What he, what he didn't know at the time was that there was a, a cop from Boston who rose behind him in the movie theater. So it was this you know, totally meta scene in our book where it's life-imitating art, Bulger's watching, you know, the fictionalized uh, version of himself on the screen, shaking his head at some scenes in disagreement, laughing at others. All the while, this uh, off-duty cop is is watching him like a hawk. Hawk. Unfortunately, the off-duty cop was not armed at the time, but Bulger was, and that was why Bulger was able to narrowly escape and remain on the run for another decade. 
do you think it, you have to have a disdain for humanity to do the things that, uh, you know, Al Capone did, that Whitey Bulger did? Do you have to not? I mean, because obviously several people died and they just never cared. So they, I'm assuming they didn't really care much about humanity anyway. Well, one of the things that, that we uh, were able to really drill down upon in, in this book is, you know, we, we wanted to deconstruct the, the myth of Whitey Bulger, but what we were able to highlight in this book is, is that he did have this dichotomy where he was a ruthless serial killer. Make no mistake about it. He killed at least 19 people. Mm-hmm. The numbers probably double or triple that. But he also uh, did have this soft side, and we get into it in his life on the run, where he befriended a family down in Louisiana, and uh, he, he you know, really took this young man under his wing, and they had um, animals and pets that, that Bulger was really fond of to the point where... He couldn't even stomach the thought of one of the puppies that they had having to be euthanized because it was sick. So here's this guy that has no problem pulling up teeth and strangling women, but he can't stomach the sight of a, of a puppy being euthanized. So um, Bulger was a very complex person. Him and his brother were extremely intelligent, um, but he's kind of a classic uh, sociopath in that uh, he, he was able to compartmentalize his gruesome crimes from the rest of his life. God, what a story this is. You guys, how long did it take you to write the book? It took us uh, a year and a half to write and research it. And quite frankly, you know, we it's the first time that uh, any writer has had exclusive access to the FBI investigation. So we fill in all of the gaps of what Bulger's life was like while he was on the run. We take the reader into the prison cell with Woody Bulger, where Bulger was almost assassinated, uh, you know, right after he was convicted and first put behind bars, right. and then we take the uh, reader into the jail cell on the day that Bulger was actually murdered, and we, uh, you know, we corresponded with the lead suspect in Bulger's murder himself, and this is a mobster from Massachusetts who was writing us letters in a rubber-tipped pencil because the guards wouldn't give him anything sharp because they were afraid that he'd, he'd either stab himself or he'd do harm to somebody else. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total sense to me. Great, great subject. Hunting Whitey, the inside story of capture and killing of America's most wanted crime boss, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. I cannot wait for my vacation to read Hunting Whitey. I appreciate your time today, gentlemen. Thank you. We appreciate it. Bye. We'll be back with the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. What's more important than reliable plumbing? Having someone you can rely on in case it ever needs attention. Hi, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Look, you don't want to mess around with leaks or shoddy installation or repair. 
when it comes to plumbing. Sabre is the largest installer of Moen fixtures and Rheem water heaters in Minnesota. They're dependable pros who get the job done right. So when plumbing happens, call Sabre or visit saberheating.com. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I was just telling everybody off the air that um, do yourself a favor and do not see Capone with Tom Hardy, even though I love Tom Hardy as an actor. I think he's a tremendous talent. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And if we had a bit more time with Casey and Dave, I would have told him, run the other way. But uh, Whitey Bulger. God, isn't that amazing that people will take great intelligence? And Andy, let me ask you a question. Well, actually, it's for Doc and Andy. So, so the mental illness takes uh, takes first place among all other things, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you're it's first you're mentally ill, then whatever you are after that, intelligent, mm-hmm. well read, whatever, it's all affected by the fact that you're flat out nuts. It, I mean, if you're sufficiently crazy, then yes, definitely, you know. I would say to kill 55 people, you got to be pretty nuts. Yeah, I would say so. Well, I mean, a good example of this, I mean, she wasn't like nuts, nuts, but I had a conversation with a schizophrenic girl a couple years back, and I asked her, um, because she most of the time was, you know, she was all there and she was relatively intelligent and everything, and I asked her, I said, when you're hallucinating, do you know whether or not you're hallucinating? And she said, if the hallucinations are sufficiently real, then no. Like, for example, if, you know, if I hallucinated a lamp on the table, I wouldn't know whether or not it's real until I go to try to touch it. But if she, if she was to hallucinate, like, you know, she would see, like, sometimes just, like, wild animals in her room. Oh, yeah. And about me? Yes. Oh, by the way, she announced the fact that COVID Kathy's here or something. Mm. You were wearing a mask when you came in. They no. said to wear a mask on they the did. front door, so I'm just Good not. For them. I'm trying to no stay off here people's anyway. radar. <laughs> okay. I just don't like being on anybody's radar. I understand. I've learned today on Twitter that you're a blowhard. Why? Well, who said I was a blowhard? I follow this person called Governor Tim Wald's lies, mm. and she's usually uh, I'm, I I really like mostly what she says but apparently you said that everybody from atlanta is racist i did not yeah, from the south south southern people are racist i never said that you said it isn't that amazing that people <laughs> say you said something i never said that yeah i wonder where she got that idea I don't know. But you are a blowhard. That's You can't take that away. I am a blowhard. Thing. You don't have a job unless you're a blowhard. <laughs> really? I mean, that's what that's. When did she think I said people? Everybody, everybody from she Atlanta to south. Is she, she Luna Atlanta? No, she's from here. Well, how the hell would she know then? Maybe she. Oh, she did live in Atlanta. Well, she lived there. Yes. So and she says Minnesotans are much more racist than not, people. Not not even Atlanta. close. See, ah, once see? Again, oh, there it is. There's Mike. the argument. 
I, I'm telling you flat out, Minnesotans are the least racist people in all of America. And there is a great story, again, tip of the cap to the Star Tribune, about black people coming to Minnesota in the 1800s and succeeding mightily. I would say that Minnesotans are very closed they as far closed. as they're very That's clicky. Yeah. They have a tendency to have the same friends that they had in junior high or even elementary school, and they never move. Well, look at me. Yeah. I met Alex Drug when I was, what, 12 years old, and he's been my only friend since. Yep. Well, it's, well, you've had other friends, but anyway. Well, not really. <laughs> friend, friend. friend. Yeah, exactly. Real friend. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just, Minnesotans have a tendency to kind of just, um, and I think it's because of the climate. It's so flipping cold here. It's not like yeah. everybody's just running around doing all kinds yeah. of different stuff. But, that's true. With that being said, when was the lynching of the three black men in Duluth? Duluth? I was uh, in, uh, that was in oh, 1910, was... I think, somewhere yeah, around yeah, a while okay. ago. And that was some was sort of uh, uh, false accusation, right? Uh, they didn't do something Yeah, they said they, they were circus workers. They were not slaves. They were circus workers. Oh. I don't think and, there were slaves in 1910, so. No. Yeah, 1910. Well, there, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that, that, that wasn't the situation. They, it, they were circus workers, and they were accused of raping and, mur- I think, murdering a woman. <laughs> And it turned out that they didn't do it. Hashtag me too. Oh. I mean, there are some phenomenally racist people. There's no yeah. question. No matter where well, you no matter, go. Yeah, you're never going to go to any state and have Shangri-La. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That, well, that's – and that's the, like the, the whole, whole point is, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I did my leadership in Minneapolis, of course, we did – there was a thing on racism. And they said, they said, everybody's racist. Accept the fact that you're racist. You are going to prefer to be around white people, your culture, your socioeconomic background, people that have grown up like you. You're, that's part of it. But what your point is to try to reduce that to the amount where you're not acting out on people. You're not denying them rights. You're not right, thinking right. they shouldn't be doing that, blah, 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 blah. But you're always going to prefer, you know, I'm, 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 most of my friends. They grew up, you know, pretty simple. One was a steel worker. Um, your mom worked in a worked in a Diner. Diner, Diner all, yeah. all her life. Yep. And uh, Tom Oslin, uh, friend, yep. he, his dad was a plumber. No, right. was a plumber. He, they were, they, they were uh, craftspeople. So they, they came from an entirely different background, and that's what you gravitate to. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I've never thought of this before. I've never even considered it before, but I have still lots of black friends. And it's not that I seek them out. It's just, I guess, what I'm comfortable with, right? That's right. They that's how pro- I grew up. They may very well have come from the same means as you. It's a, it, and, yeah, most of them you did. Know, you know, we, you they mentioned, all did. You mentioned that on Saturday. It's a, it's a money thing. It's a wealth thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, if you're not wealthy, you know, you're kind of you're shunned by people who, of any kind of means. Well, just because I was the only diverse member at that certain goal. Oh, God, well, that's right. You re- represent the diversity for that. But that you've that, heard that story, haven't you? Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. Saturday. You know, well, so, Saturday I told you. That's so right. that's that's a a real thing that there is, and those pe- And if you look, you know, if you look at this, my kids used to go to a to a private school, and the kids was kind of break down into four click groups. The, yeah. The rich yeah. Christians, the rich Jews. The you know middle income Christians, middle income Jews, yeah, and that's true. how it sort of it broke down because it was that's you, you know, felt most comfortable. And they that. probably go to the same church or the same synagogue, and they just they there make no family members. I mean, Minnesota's a very small 
society as yeah. far as oh, you know, there, we don't no have, yeah. people that. know each other it's it's hard to not go someplace and run into somebody you know here well just, you know isn't and i talked to like william about it and rashawn and several other friends they say that i don't i'm not like other white people and it's not that i you know you're not like anybody well honey. that's probably true <laughs> but they and they tell me that that's why i have such such a problem with the media is because i'm not a normal white guy it's not like I act black or anything. That's not what they're talking about. It's just I don't act like a Minnesota white guy. And they don't like that, which I suppose it makes sense. Yeah. Black people go, yeah, whatever, you do whatever you want. But, but white people are very uncomfortable with the way I act. I, mean, I guess it's way too aggressive for them. Do you think that's probably true? More East Coast. Yeah, that's what a lot of people think. I'm from like Boston or New York or whatever. Even though I don't have an accent, they they just think I'm one of those city and, guys. You know, I get that same. And, and I there's yeah, a, I can see that. There's a, there's a, it has and it's it's it it's just how you grew up and it's just a, an assertiveness that people here are uncomfortable with. You know, or uh, yeah, they don't like not it. a passive aggressive way, but just you're just you're just not passive aggressive. You're just right out there and right passive aggressiveness in black people. Man, that's an unusual thing. I've never yeah. seen it actually. I don't yeah. think I've ever even seen yeah. passive you know, aggressive. Try, try being a straightforward you, female in this yeah. state. Well, I suppose, yeah. That's <laughs> probably that's you a little know, hard. You I, know, bet. You, I know. You know, you, it's you know, crazy. If you lip off, you lip, you lip off to somebody who's not passive aggressive, you get your job busted for. Yeah. You. yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not going to. No, they're just going to act out. Right. You know, and that's that's just. The way, the way some people yeah, are. It's just like, you know, you honk your horn at people that are cutting you off or not obeying the, the traffic rules in, in on the East Coast. Yeah. In Minnesota, if you honk at somebody, they, they go insane. They, they go act like you, They act like you've just murdered their parents. <laughs> it's true. It's they like, do. Man, you just Calm ran a down. stop sign. Beep. Okay. Yeah, Acknowledge it. It's true. Get over it. I don't know. I, but it's interesting it, getting different takes from people, you know, from, from rich people, poor people, white people, black people, Spanish people. You get a differing reaction from a lot of, lot of people. I had a person that, that got mad at me because... I was talking on the morning show yesterday about, I can't remember who the hell I said, but somebody made some comment, and I said, well, they can kiss my living ass. I don't care about that. And then I was asked, why do you feel that way? And I said, because I'm not getting on my knees for anybody. It's just not going to happen. And then I said, no, that's not true. I would get on my knees to help my family. But that's it. And that's a fact. I won't do it. And that pisses off a lot of people because kissing ass in Minnesota is a huge thing. It is. Kissing ass is huge it's, it's in Minnesota. It's one of the cultural things that I'm not real fond it's of. It's the here. one thing that drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's why they get so pissed off at me no, because part, I just won't do it. And that's the first step in your passive aggressive behavior. Yep. You know, you, it you, is, yeah. You know, you're, you're bowing down to somebody, you're getting this sort of stuff, but then you resent that in the background. Yep. So you're going to do something. It, that's what that yeah. is. Yeah. Then you go do something weird elsewhere. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Once you get a hold a of that woman on Twitter, let's have her on as a guest in the second hour. Blow hard my ass, <laughs> sister. Mm. Let's go. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. 
How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant walls Automotive group walls.com and doug sprinthal Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, And it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Oh, what is this, the front page of the Star Tribune? <laughs> The death knell. <laughs> Have you read the front page of Star Tribune again today? I haven't mm. looked at a newspaper. Horrible, horrible, and horrible, I, horrible. They still make those? I see them on the ground sometimes in front of some of the condo I'm doors. About their and I'm like, I, I might look at the headline. It's one of those things that makes me sad because it's, it's like, you know, it's a thing that's was there when I was a kid and it's yep. something I grew up around and now it's just gone. But at the same time, logically, I can't really defend it. No. It's like, you know, uh, Mom. you all right there? God. Yes, I'm fine. It's like yes, uh, VHS tapes. I would never buy one. I would never watch one, but yeah, they were a big you... part of my childhood. Yeah, yeah they were, absolutely. Well, I mean, the honest got truth about it, broadcast television is dead. It's, newspapers are dead, which makes me very happy because broadcast television and newspapers are one that went after me all the time. So, ha-ha. Mm. Oh See, if they'd only so been humble. nice to you, so they'd still, they'd be, still be there. No, I mean, particularly guys my age. Well, honestly, the news, if they weren't just fear-mongering lunatics, they yeah. might still be doing all right. Yeah, but, but all not. they do is fear-monger and that, hate-monger. And lie. And lie. Yeah, just, just make lying. up lies. They're not good people. That's a problem. And people don't trust them anymore. <clears throat> no. I don't. Nor should they. I no. never did, actually, to tell you the truth. Would, no. yeah. the, watching the news now is like it's like a theater performance. Yep. It is, yeah. Like everybody, especially, I always laugh at, uh, was it Don Lemon on... CNN. Your buddy. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Dead staring the camera and go on this huge monologue. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing did you, right Did you guys see <laughs> that? Uh, I think it was 2016. He had this soliloquy where he was talking about black people. You need to pull your pants up. You need to have a father in the house. I mean, it was like Don all Lemon Don that? Lemon. It was, like, it was like a three-minute tirade about God, what was wrong me. with black society 
And well, it's all the things that the conservatives have been saying for years. When did Bill Cosby get nailed? Uh, well, he was the one doing uh, the nail. Oh, wasn't he? Wow. I was going to say, <laughs> at least three or four end. years, I think. Oh, well, well, I think he finally went to jail or whatever. I'm thinking because <laughs> when yeah. Bill Cosby okay, was boys. still, you know, untainted, okay, uh, that was like the thing for like you know older, you know, richer black guys to say is like you know kids these days hoodlums, et cetera, et cetera. But then as soon as Bill Cosby went down. That became forbidden to say because yeah. he said it. So now right. you have to say the opposite, which is you know, know. black That's, people can do no wrong and yeah. Well, the is good for your like health. I said, the reactionary problem that we have to every well, yeah. thing in America is just so infantile. It's Kevin. like, oh, he said this, so now we all have to freak out yep. about that. It's just like, my Kevin God. Kevin and I were just talking about that before the show started. Now all of a sudden, according to the national press, Negro is racist. I always thought it was. No, hell. No. Well, there's United Negro College Fund. Yeah. What is that, racist? I don't know. Tevin, I, I defer, I defer, I defer uh, to you. What? No, <laughs> well, yeah, like, if somebody like, called you a Negro, would you be offended? No, but I'd be like, why? Who says Negro? You would think it was somebody way. over Why are you 80? pointing at me with your thumb? He goes, who says oh, Negro? Tevin like, is the Negro that comes into the No, but you would think it was somebody over 80 that said Yeah, I'd be like, okay, this is somebody that probably grew up It's a very old term that nobody uses anymore. I think it's a guilt by association thing. Negro is old, old is racist. Therefore, well, Negro is racist. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's true. That's what it is. But it's not. No. There are well, many what... funds called the Blah Blah Negro Fund. Yeah, yeah there the is. The Blah Blah Negro <laughs> Fund. <laughs> the United Negro <laughs> insert, Fund. Insert here and then Negro yep. Fund after, yeah. NCAA is called Negro Fund. NAACP. Colored people, yeah. National Association. Is that still a thing? Is that still a thing? That's colored people. Yeah, they haven't changed those. Can't say that either. They haven't changed those names. But it's not racist. I'm surprised they haven't. I don't know. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I have no idea what's racist anymore. Okay, so basically. I don't know if looking at Tevin makes me racist. I'm not sure. I'd be racist if I knew Tevin. Just talking to you. I don't know. Is it okay? <laughs> How dare you? Just, no, I just, I, I wish, but Tevin, don't you think that's white people doing that? Yeah. Black I mean, people don't care about Negro. No. Like, there's, like what the hell? Like, I feel like there's, and it's like, there's so many other things that, like, people are trying to fix or get solved yeah, that man. nobody's concerned if Negro is racist or not. Like, no, fix other things before we get down problem. to that level. I think there's probably a lot of people that are yeah. very worried about every tiny little word. You know, yeah, yeah, the yeah, social justice warriors on, on you know Facebook and stuff, those are the people that are very worried about every tiny little yeah, thing. Right. But if you're talking about living your life yeah, like and being a normal human being, yeah, yes. Yeah, especially here when it's like, yeah, you have, like, where we're trying to rebuild communities and there's violence right. downtown or uptown all the time and police brutality. It's like, yeah, those are... Issues that need to be solved first before we get down to should you go around saying Negro or not. It's true. How about Nero? Can you say that? If you're... It's the same word. Yeah. The big problem with Negro is Tevin's this. It's just like, I don't even <laughs> have words for that. Word. Yeah, oh, how oh, how so does your brain make that my, my Spanish name was De Negro. So. <laughs> that's, 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 that's why like, I pick, love Tevin right the there. The like, you can pick any name you want. And I'd be like, all right, you guys are all going to call me De Negro. <laughs> <laughs> so for four years, that's what I was called in Spanish. I'll get in trouble and the teacher just hear from like... 
people probably hear the next door like she heard just yelling at me, Dang Necro, sit down. What is that? On Alaska, Wisconsin or what? No, uh, Osceola, Wisconsin. Osceola, Wisconsin. Dang Negro, sit down. Oh my god. I don't remember That's what my Spanish name was. Heaven. We had that same the thing where you pick play. anything. Yeah. And I don't remember <laughs> yeah. what it was. I had no idea what mine was. I didn't get one. Because I remember I even like didn't do one of our Spanish projects and it was a conjugate <laughs> verb, so you had to bring in like baby pictures, pictures of you as a kid and then whatever else. And I totally didn't do it. So the hour before the class started, <laughs> I, I just went online and like Googled like black baby boy and printed out pictures <laughs> oh and inserted God. it into because I was oh like, my. well, white people think all black people look like. Oh. Okay, that's not offensive like, at all. However, how, but she's like, looks at my, she's like, Tevin, you're a really cute baby. I'm like, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you very much. Be yeah. nice to you. Do you guys ever watch Shameless? Did you yep. watch Shameless? Everybody's Have you, are you up? It. Are you up to seen. speed on it? Yeah, this whatever last, like the most recent the last on like Netflix season? or Hulu or whatever. Yeah. It's over, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Where Debbie, the redhead, brings another evil redhead to uh, yep. to scam somebody because she's like, people are so racist against redheads. They they won't know the difference between that one be redhead. Harris, kid. Not racist. It was hilarious. And it's true. She went, walked right in there like, hi. <laughs> no, great show. We we have have it's so dysfunctional. It's call. delightful. Yes. We have a cool hello caller. Hey, a good, good good morning or afternoon, whatever clock you're on. Uh, we're on the 11:47 special. So we're on the cusp. Uh, uh, I just this is Craig. I just wanted to call in and tell you that uh, uh, we moved from Minnesota to Texas. You moved to Texas. When you move uh, to Texas? Huh. Uh, we moved in November. Oh. That's why we haven't heard from you. Oh, yeah, I'm busy. No, I got out of Minnesota. So uh, the the housing market, the, the realtor t- pretty much told us back in November that uh, we'll never see a housing market this hot and uh, pretty much suggested that we sell our house. And so we moved to McAllen, Texas, which if you, if you Google it. Right uh, on the border, it's baby. Right on the border. Yep. And so the thing is, is that the problem that I'm currently having right now is that, uh, you know, I'm a 6'5", 325 proud Norwegian, and my <laughs> big dude, my my color is white as pure as snow, and the thing is, is that when you talk about Spanish, and and the thing is, is that they refer to me at the there's a gas station nearby me. And they have the best fajitas. You know, I'm eating like a king down here. Plus, my I bought a house that would easily have been. I bought my house down here for 200k. Wow. This house in this house in Minnesota would easily have been 80, 800, 900. Yeah, I, I mean, really? I have a. I can believe it. Really? Oh, yeah. I have an. I I have an outdoor pool. I have a, a huge yard. I got a two stall garage, and I got five bedrooms. I don't what? have any kids, so it's just me and me and the lady. So yeah. trying to rent out a room. But, but, <laughs> exactly. Taking snow. Yeah, Airbnb. The, yeah. Uh, so so the thing was is that yeah, like it's, this house is amazing, and the real estate down here is so cheap. And the thing is, I work from home, so you know technically nothing really changed for both of us. Right. She works from home too, so 
So the thing is, is that when I go to the gas station, I get fajitas. They refer to me as El El Gringo. Yep. El, El Gringo. Gringo. El Gringo. El Gringo. Mm-hmm. And so the thing was, is that I come in and, and, you know, like when you leave Minnesota, you don't realize like how bad your accent is. Oh. <laughs> you don't leave Minnesota. <laughs> You don't realize so, how bad your accent is. Love you it. try, you try, you try speaking Spanish with the long O and the long E. Oh God, vocabulary. Oh, yeah, como esta? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh like, yeah, trace, trace. Oh yeah, don't you know? Yeah, days trace fajitas de carne. Fajitas with meat. Who yeah. doesn't want to have that? Yeah. Oh Me. my God, that's so funny. Well, yeah, you, that's true. So, so the reason why I was just calling the day is, is just to make you like I, I completely it's kind of reversed because mm-hmm. like it's pretty much like I refer to this as American Mexico. And uh Yeah. Because basically, is, yeah. basically like I go to Target, you know, and the thing was <laughs> I feel bad when I say this, but when I go when I go to Target like or Walmart around here is just like I get the sense like the the Hispanics are like, well, the white people are here. You know? <laughs> Son of a, I'm going home. Oh, they're whiteies over going home. Look, whitey moved into the neighborhood. This this neighborhood's gone to hell. And oh, I heard I heard a rumor that Walmart's requiring people to wear pants now. They're wearing Babylon B, yeah. Mm-hmm. Craig, you got to stay in touch, man. We love hearing from you. Yeah, and the thing, the one last thing is that the. I hate saying this, but it's and I I found this out the hard way is that people down here are really friendly mm-hmm. compared to the passive aggressiveness of Minnesota. Yeah. No, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about mm-hmm. that. So, all right, uh, yeah, I got I got tons of other stories to tell about my adventures. So I would I'll be love happy to, to call hear. later. Love to hear them, Craig. Thanks for calling. Great to hear from you again. Bye, buddy. Bye. We'll be back in a little bit. Scott Walter, our guest up next with the family. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, a lot of people have heard us talk about community banking over the years. We've been doing these commercials. What makes working with a community bank so different for your customers? Our business banking customers honor us by sharing how we're able to help them on any new project, how we're able to quickly get them the funding they need when others in town can't do it. We do it by taking the time to get to know our customers and the challenges they face. When your business banks with us, you are not just another account number. One thing I've always admired about North American Banking Company is how your team treats not only me, but my friends and family that bank with you so respectfully. Tommy, thanks for making me look good, like my team does. As you know, I have a face for radio. We yes, take you do. <laughs> We take pride in doing the right thing for all our customers and the communities we work and live. That's what we mean about being a community bank. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Dan Chesky is here from Dan Southside Marine to talk boats in February. 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof. Dan's has what you're looking for in the color and model you want. So get in and take advantage of the factory incentives and discounts February offers. Why should our listeners shop for a fishing boat at Dan Southside Marine? We have the latest models on display, like the new Revolution. It features rotational seating from Premier Marine and the new Lumacraft FSX crossover fishing ski. Both are getting tons of attention and grabbing sales from the competition. 
Dan's Southside Marine is packed with pontoons from Avalon, Berkshire, and Premier with all the rebates and incentives we mentioned at the top. Get the family out this weekend and come see these amazing pontoons. And be sure to ask about custom-rigged Alumacraft fishing boats this weekend at Dan Southside Marine during our February open house. Dan Southside Marine, six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Oh, we will rock you. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Andy's here, Alex, Catherine, DeNegro. Yes, sir. I can't L- believe L- they L- let L-Hong you. K. I can't believe they let you use that. Name. I think it's great. Honestly, if they went to them, I probably would have told them they're racist, and then <laughs> if they said this is your name, you would have been what? That's hilarious. Well, the only one, the only problem with that word is, is that the big N came from a mispronunciation of the word Negro. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the whole problem with it. As long as you don't mispronounce it, you're right. good to go. Yeah. So there you have Scott ready to go? Yes. Scott Wolter with his ladies. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Not too bad. Where are you right now? I am sitting in my vehicle at the Lifetime Fitness. I just played some basketball. I took a time out because I wanted to talk to you. Well, that's very, very nice of you, ladies and gentlemen. We are catching up with Scott Walter and his new adventures and discoveries, like new artifacts discovered in Texas and new info on the Kensington Runestone. Let's start with Texas, because we just got off the phone with Craig, a listener from uh, McAllen, Texas. Oh, okay. And and he discovered that uh, whenever he goes to a Mexican restaurant in McAllen, Texas, he is known as El Gringo. So that's good. <laughs> Old Gringo that, is here. He's got that going for him. He's got that going for him. So, how have you been? Everything's been good. Well, you know, to be quite frank with you, this COVID thing has oh, uh, yeah. struggle, and I know that everybody listening, everybody in the studio there, um, it, it's these are trying times, but um, we're getting through it. And you know, part of the way that I've been getting through it is. Uh, I have uh, gone off on a couple of excursions, two of them to Texas, to look at these incredible artifacts that um, I think are revealing a, a story that very few people know anything about. And this particular group in focus behind these artifacts, nobody knows anything about. But you know what the ironic thing is? There is a very plausible, in fact, likely connection of this story to the guy that I've been banging on for the last 12 years, Christopher Columbus. Oh, really? Yes. So what's this all about? Can we know a bit about what's going on? Yes. Let me me give you the information that I can, and I want to, you know, just let you know that, first of all, we want to keep the location secret. We want to keep the identity of the people involved secret. And, you know, there's some people that are saying, why would you go down to Texas in the middle of, middle of a pandemic? Well, and when, when Texas, of course, is, is raging with the virus, right. the, reason, the reason is, Tom, is the key person involved in this story is uh, dealing with stage 4 cancer. Oh. And his, his family has said to me that part of the reason he's hanging on is because you're taking this seriously and he just wants to know the truth about this story and that's really the truth behind it otherwise i would have waited but i couldn't wait so um you want to you want to hear the story i'd love to hear the story all right 
Um, well, I, I received a call. Uh, I was at a conference in, in, in February, and I was told about um, a bunch of these stone slabs that had mysterious carvings on them, and I asked the guy, I said, do you have any pictures? He showed me some pictures, and I go, okay, I'm in. i got to see these things. So I went down there, and basically the story is, back in 2003, um, a group of, I'll call, treasure hunters were looking on... Um, at, at, there were some carvings on a cliff wall along a creek in um, Central Texas, let's say, and they were they thought this, this was a treasure map leading to treasure. They ended up finding a small cave that had been covered over. They dug out the cave and they found upwards of about 100 slabs that are probably anywhere from maybe a foot across to the largest one is four feet across. Um, you know, by roughly the same dimensions and anywhere from an inch to four inches thick. And carved on these slabs are images of angels. There are maps, um, indigenous people. There's language. There is Hebrew letters on about half a dozen of them. Or about a dozen of them. There are runes on um, some others. There's some symbols that we don't know what they are. There is some Egyptian iconography carved on these things. And, of course, I looked at this collection, and I said to myself, the hell, um, who would do something like this? It seems like this odd collection of, of, of symbols and, and languages and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, and, and figures. Well, to make a long story short, we have spent time, well, let me say this, they're weathered. Okay, they definitely show evidence of weathering. They were not made recently. Exactly how old they are, we don't know for sure, but several of the slabs actually have dates on them. Oh. And the, the dates range from 1501 to 1752. So that's a period of 261 years. And if we go to 51, that we have... Um, we've got Hebrew on some of these stones. We spent three hours on the phone with a Hebrew scholar, a retired Harvard professor. And what he told us, he shared some of the, um, the Hebrew writing with them, is that the person that carved these knew the Hebrew alphabet. But he didn't use the entire alphabet because he obviously didn't completely understand it. But the language is Spanish and Portuguese, which is actually the combination of those two is called Ladino with a D. And it was a language that was used at about 1500 and, you know, before and after in the Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain and Portugal. And here's something very interesting. Have you ever heard of the term crypto-Jew? Crypto-Jew? No, I have not. I have. Oh, Andy. Yes. Or, conver or conversal. See, Tom, your show is all about teaching people. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Something new. Um, a crypto Jew is somebody who is inwardly practicing Judaism. They are Jewish, mm -hmm. but they live in Catholic countries, and they were outwardly Catholic because they feared persecution. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, absolutely. Well, what's interesting is the very day the very day that Christopher Columbus 
left on his first voyage to the New World, the Roman Catholic Church initiated on the same day an inquisition against Jews in the Iberian Peninsula. And they had a choice, convert, leave, or die. And I'm thinking that a lot of those people said, you know what, I always wanted to go on a ship to some place. It's a lot better opportunity than dying. And there's a lot of, there's some new research that came out recently that said, and they made a plausible argument, that Christopher Columbus himself may have been a crypto-Jew. Really? Yeah. Yes. And the evidence that they used is in his Book of Privileges, which was basically, he wrote down everything that he felt he was owed. And in there are certain specific wishes in his will that these scholars argue give away his, his secret um, belief in Judaism. That is an amazing story. But your job's pretty interesting. Let me just say that. <laughs> well, I feel very fortunate, and um, I've had a lot of good luck. And um, I think more than anything, I'm I'm pleased that people will put their faith in me and share things. And um, you know, I will honor that, and and I'm honoring it in this case. However, this is a story that we are going to be bringing to the public um, in more detail. Uh, when the time is right, but I, I made a commitment to that to that gentleman who's struggling right now, and uh, I'm trying to get out as much information for him as I can. Originally, he was a treasure hunter. He was looking for gold, but obviously he's in a different place in his life right now, and he says, I just want to know what the story is. And the second time I went down there, I looked at him, and I said, Jim, I think this is what's going on, and after he... After he blew his mind, he uh, he was smiling, and so that was that was a good thing. That is a great story. And are we uh, are we going to see this on a nationwide basis very soon? Um, yes, you will. But that's all I can tell you right now. And I knowing understand. you, Tom, you know how to keep a secret. I do. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> all right. Well, once you once you release the information, I would love to have you back on, Scott. Uh, Wednesday, when's the, when are we going to have this uh, public? Yeah. Uh, I would say probably within the next two months. All right, well, you got to come back when you make it public. I'd love to talk to you about it. And the morning show, too. Oh, hey, listen, and what I'll do is I'll bring, uh, I'll bring some photos that you can post. And um, I think you're going to be blown away. The artwork is fantastic. But the big question is this. Why, and we, and we think these, most of these slabs were probably grave slabs, people in the community that passed away, because mm -hmm. we have a combination of Christian and Jewish symbolism, which you never see anywhere, right? So the question is, why did they round all these things up and hide them in the cave? That's the big question. I think I know what the answer is, but that's, that's really uh, the big question, is how did they end up sealed in this cave? and why. All right. We will talk to you soon, sir. All right. Thank you for having me, and uh, we'll chat soon, pal. Thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. All right. Bye. Scott Walter, Bye. ladies and gentlemen, a uh, very, very interesting guy. We will be, what? <clears throat> Nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. <clears throat> yeah, because you went, he. I was going to cough. <laughs> <laughs>
We will be right back with the van. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. Tom Bernard here with my friend John Schwartz, co-owner of AAA Movers, a family-owned part of the Metro since 1964. John, first off, when it comes to moving, not all companies are created equal. What are some of the scary stories you hear about other guys? Tommy, if you hire Chuck in a truck, you unfortunately are going to get Chuck service. AAA Movers makes it our mission to guarantee satisfaction with every step of what can often be a stressful time in your life, moving. We move 10 to 12,000 families every year. So from your price quote to the professional, respectful way we handle your life's possessions, we'll make your move easy. I like easy. By the way, this month, if you mention Tom Bernard or KQ, you'll get a free moving box kit with every move, and you'll save 50 bucks off with junk removal with junk luggers. Your move is always triple guaranteed with AAA Movers. That's their price guarantee, safety guarantee, and satisfaction guarantee. Call 612-588-MOVE or online at aaamovers.com. AAA Movers, you may not move every day, but they do. No one knows why. I just told you what it was all about. For September and October, I was three years old when I was in kindergarten. That's not true. It is too true. Not legal. I was in first. Your mother lied to get you out of the house. He's giant. He's actually seven. He walked uphill both ways. No shoes. Three years old. In the blizzard. Waist deep in snow. Waist deep in snow. He was the teacher's assistant. He had to wash dishes in the cafeteria just to. Great working with you guys. Great to be here. So they feed him. Don't call my bluffs. Don't call my bluffs. Well, why is it then? Explain it to me. When I quit high school, I was a senior in, at, at North High School, and I was 16 years old. How is that possible? Well, because you just did that math in your head and made that work out for yourself. I didn't because make anything. Because they were, they were trying to fast-track you to get you out. Oh, it's because he was so God. smart that he skipped grades skipped to get you yeah. I actually did skip. I got you. See, I got your back. Yeah. <laughs> I skipped yeah, nothing. Really, like sure really helpful. Yeah. Thank you so it's much. never... We'll see. I don't know why we'll people see. get so whipped up. A lot of kids start kindergarten in four then when they're four. No, they no, don't. They don't. Fun yeah. will oh, fun is five. Fun is five. She no. will be five when she starts think. kindergarten and she'll be the youngest kid in her class. I don't really? think four was ever a kindergarten yeah. age. No, yes, it not. was. No, it's not. I will show you the deal. Okay. You'd love to see you cite your case and let me know. <laughs> show me the deal. I need a paper by the end of the day. Okay, you ready? Nineteen fifty five. You know why I know. Leather suitcase with all of your Files. <laughs> legal briefs. <laughs> I will tell you me. why. Apparently, I know what some preschools accept children as young as two. Preschool. Yes. That's not kindergarten. Though. That's kindergarten. different. You said preschool. No, no he said kindergarten. kindergarten. No, she said preschool. Oh, Fond she said preschool. Is, Fond, you usually start preschool at three, and then yeah. four, and then 
depending on your birthday, because Fawn has a late spring birthday, late May. So she just makes the cutoff. So she could either start kindergarten legally at either five or six. And you don't even have to go to kindergarten. No, you have to skip it. No, you have to go to kindergarten, but you used to be able to skip it. Oh, you have you can skip preschool. Yeah. But you can't skip kindergarten now. Yeah, it seems to be, it's a state by state thing. Most states, it's five. Yeah. Yeah. How about like in, back how about in the day, in the, they were like, not, if your kid how the years is the more Neanderthal. advanced, you can just come in early. We're not going to say too much. Like, if you're like, oh, he can read, doesn't wet himself, we'll let him go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. can you wipe your Who own? Who cares? Yeah. But. Okay, well, <laughs> let me ask you guys a question. You're in. <laughs> what year would the 1955 Ford vehicles have been released? 54? 54. 54, correct? Mm-hmm. 1955. Okay. Interesting so, to see where this is going. <laughs> my father just bought a brand new car. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It was a 1955 Ford. Yeah. He bought it in September of 1954. All right. And I started kindergarten in 1954 at three years old. No, 1955. <laughs> because I was three in September and October, and then I turned four in November. Fast. Stickers are charged as kind of four year but also you I remember really think the your mom just lied to you out of the house. Per- I can remember. I can remember everything <laughs> I, that ever happened to me. I could, like no. when you were mean to me all those times. Uh, oh, believe <laughs> no, me, any I negative thing is etched out. in there forever. Mm-hmm. Never forget. Oh, yeah, ever. Yeah. Anything positive, not so much. <laughs> what does it say, Andy? Can you start kindergarten? Could you in 1955 start There's kindergarten? No way I'm going to be able to find that. <laughs> Why not? What kind of Found search would you even? Yeah. <laughs> Tom's life. Just look under Tom's just look life. Look Minnesota. Google. I don't think it's Wikipedia. I don't think anybody has integrated those. Those records into the internet. I'm sure it's just it not a necessity. It's, it's three hard times to, since right. It's hard to convert stone records. tablet into yeah. electronic like, databases. Yeah, I can't scan those. 1956 <laughs> Ford comes out <laughs> September 55. <laughs> I start school. 55. Two you probably later. started preschool. Like a I did not. Person. It was at Emerson Elementary School. Which. 1200 Spruce Place, right there. That doesn't count. <laughs> Just because you know the address doesn't mean... Oh! 1200 <laughs> yeah. Spruce. Okay. That's okay. That lines up, guys. Yeah. That lines up. Spruce. I was thinking... I also remember because I when, I four, yeah. that's, that's when, I, when I was four... That's a different When I was four... The Idol Hospital caught fire at Christmas time because one of the Christmas trees blew yeah, up. Everything starts on fire. Yeah. It yeah. did. You, you can look that up. Idol Hospital burns 1955, I believe, Andy. You want to check that out? For me? We Idol believe spells. you. E-I-T-E-L. <laughs> what was no, the address? What was show... the address of the hospital? It would have been 1201. Trying to back up a lie <laughs> with five facts <laughs> doesn't well, all make a lie. December 1956. 56. Well, I was... I was I had just turned five then, mm-hmm. so there you go. So, so we did. So we, just we moved. You wrong? No, 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 no. I'm just. When I asked him what year that was because Idle Hospital burned, and I remember we lived on the fourth. Yeah, because that we originally lived on the second floor. We moved to the fourth floor. And then my brother would hold me over the railing four stories up, and I'm, I've been oh. afraid of heights ever Pulled since. Pulled a Michael Jackson on you? Did you say Michael Jackson? Style. He did pull on. Yeah, I was like blanket. I was serious <laughs> version of blanket. <laughs> Oh, my God. Exactly Here, my right. adoring fans, is my offspring. Okay, one more story, and then I'll move on, I promise. <laughs> we had a next-door neighbor who was a very big, strong man. Not great guy, just a really, really good guy. I uh, came home, 
And he said, hey, Tommy, it's going to be the greatest. They're going to deliver a new washer and dryer to my wife, and she's going to be all excited. And he, he was kind of doing this deal, so I knew he was at the bar after work, if you know what I mean. Well, apparently the fact that he had been at the bar before the washer and dryer showed up had, a, had a big effect on how things turned out. Because I hear this, well, God damn it. Like they, that. Did they leave him on the sidewalk? Nope. They delivered them, and she was yelling about being drunk, so we threw them off the fourth floor balcony. Oh. Washer and the dryer. Wow. Oh. That's a waste of money. <laughs> That's counterproductive. Also very impressive to pick up a washer oh, and dryer guy and throw it up over the balcony. Yeah. This guy was huge. Hmm. But apparently he was all excited that she would be so happy with the new washer and dryer. She's like, blow it out your ass, you booze out. <laughs> yeah, he rained wow. on her parade. Yeah. Yeah. He rained on her Which is always like. Means little when you're like, wasted yeah. Back all the in the time. day when like people would buy gifts for their wives, it's like, a washer and dryer set and stuff like that. It's like one of the mm, only recordings think, yeah. that we have of a Christmas at my in my family. I sound was, like Alvin the Chipmunk. Yeah. No, no. When I was little. Oh, when oh, you were little. Oh, okay. What was and, your address? Uh, I'm just kidding. I remember all my addresses. You want to know what they all were? Yeah. Lived in, I've lived in about 120 houses. I remember them all. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> anyway, my mom. Open your present now, Mom. It's from Dad. She hopes it's oh, Russell, no. Russell, Russell. Oh, no. Pots and pans. Oh, pots and God. pans. Oh, the only no. thing I ever get is pots and pans. Oh, no. I've never done that to you. <laughs> no, never. Unless you were yeah. made of, like, diamonds or something. Yeah. Mm, no. Diamond, Diamond pans. Diamonds. Here's your own personal <laughs> genie who will grant you every wish for the rest of your life. You Which call I this have. a genie? That's well, <laughs> like, yeah, That would be, yeah. By the way. <laughs> Shittiest genie I ever saw. I did fine. Probably his pants. Crash. His pants suck. They're not going to talk, Andy. On <laughs> minis- uh, mn.gov, I don't think there was a law for kindergarten age before 1959. There you Your have Your mother dumped you I into the system. Yeah, she was Vindicated like, once again. I try to tell people they I don't, don't know if being me. dumped into the system at a, a very early age <laughs> is impressive. Forced you out of the house is I something don't think you that should that be bragging. It doesn't have anything to do with here. Intelligence. Look at the job I'm sitting here doing right now with that three-year-old starting. Yeah. I could be wrong, but that's the earliest law I could find that mentions kindergarten age. Yes, exactly. So before then, you could just be like, take my kid. Yeah, right. Like, I'm really tired of <laughs> oh, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden they find out it was three, so now no. I was a bad kid right. who was just thrown uh, in you there. Can't win. Detention. Well, I mean, all if you think about it, why does it need to be illegal to put your child in kindergarten? If they're smart early. enough, let them in. It yeah. is kind of weird. And a lot of it has to do with toilet training. Yeah. And apparently and a lot of teachers, in, even with the five-year-olds, are seeing kids that are not toilet well, you trained. You should be right. able to say, if your kid's not toilet trained, they can't go to kindergarten. That, train yeah, that, should, it, that should be the standard minimum. Yes, it should. Because I don't care if he even knows oh, yeah, his own name. Oh, yeah, because if they can't even poop in a so toilet, fun. that means they got something Fun could have gone to kindergarten at anyway. 22 months. Okay, one other yes. thing I did when I was there. Even earlier than Now, remember, five. I was only three years old, just turned four. All of a sudden, our teacher was no longer there. And so after about the third day, I said, where's Mrs. Oh, you had a son. No, she could actually still be alive, couldn't she? Because she might have only been about 25. Yeah, she could be. She yeah. could be about 90 years old. Still. Theoretically. So I, better, I better not say her name then, but <laughs> no. her name was Miss... 
I'm going to say her name was Miss Teacher Beckworth. Miss That's Teacher. what I'm going to say. Miss Beckworth. Beckworth okay. Miss Beckworth. <laughs> the most normal. So after the Smith third day, Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. I Miss said, said. <laughs> yes. I said, where's where's Miss Beckworth? They said, well, she she is going to be taking some time off for a while. Well, why? Now remember, I'm just about to turn four. I said, why is she taking time off? Is she sick? No, she's not sick. And <laughs> here comes the worst part. I said, well, if she's not sick, why is she taking time off? And they're looking at me like, Confrontational at three. I said, okay, mm-hmm. well, Tom, you're a very young boy, but you, could, you understand that when women are going to have a baby, they have to take some time off, and then they give birth to the baby. And she'll be back next year, but she'll be the mother of a little baby Baby, didn't know a little a baby, baby. baby. Well, I didn't baby know if it was a boy or girl, right? Ah, uh, yes. So she'll, a baby, she'll be, baby. She'll be the mother of a little baby, and I went. She's not married. Mm. Oh, that didn't fly too well. I wasn't supposed to notice that. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to notice that her name was a myth back yeah. with. Uh. They were Miss not happy B. with me is bringing that up. Scandal. Is it just me, or is every early education teacher constantly pregnant? <laughs> I have like five teachers. <laughs> have yeah, yeah, everybody, all teachers and all teachers. <laughs> well, that, that is not yeah. what I think. When I had a lot of yeah, like, it's it, weird. And, and like growing up, I didn't. They weren't like they were all like fresh out of college, yeah, yeah. like starting their lives as yeah. professionals. Oh, they're women under the, the age of yeah. you know, yes. usually thirty-five. So what that's when they're having babies a lot of times. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.